I'm Emory Hunt, the czar of the playbook, and welcome to week two of the HBCU kickoff. But first and foremost, you can follow us on Twitter at FBallGamePlan. We're also on both Instagram and Vine under the handle of Football Game Plan, no spaces in between. Like our Facebook fan page, Football Game Plan, and don't forget to check out and subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash football game plan. And again, these podcasts are all archived on our website at footballgameplan.com slash podcast. And what a great week to kick off the HBCU football season last week was, starting with the John Merritt Classic as Tennessee State knocked off Alabama State 24-14 in the Battle of the First Lincoln, Pennsylvania, knocked off Cheney 29-22. That was a very entertaining ball game, went back and forth. And Lincoln and Missouri knocked off Langston 35-32 in another high-scoring affair. Two upsets last week. Central State was upset by Alderson Brodus 22-14. Bowie State upset Merrimack in a very good football game being played 35-32. That was a big win for Bowie State. And in the Labor Day Classic, you had Prairie View knocking off Texas Southern 38-11. And we have to hand out some player awards for doing a great job last week. Offensive Player of the Week went to quarterback Matthew Goggins of Bowie State. 6'3", 207, went 23-42, 313 yards, three touchdowns. Most importantly, no interceptions and also rush for a touchdown as they were able to knock off Merrimack, like I mentioned earlier. And the defensive player of the week, Javon Hargrave, the defensive tackle from South Carolina State. Two and a half sacks, four tackles last weekend, was disruptive virtually on every play against Arkansas Pine Bluff. What a great way to kick off the season with those two ball games and those two players had tremendous performances. And before we move on to week two, we got to talk about the money games versus these major schools. A lot of times you see guys, you see games last week. Let's just start with last week. You had Grambling taking on California, the Golden Bears, Middle Tennessee State taking on Jackson State, Florida A&M taking on Miami. You had Bethune-Cookman playing South Florida, Norfolk State playing Rutgers, Alcorn playing Georgia Tech, and New Mexico playing Mississippi Valley State. Now you get it. These guys need the money to play these games. They need the money. That's why they play these ball games. And you see both sides of the coin. You see some people say, oh, why should they play these money games? It doesn't do any help for the football team or the program as a whole. Then on the flip side, you see people saying, well, they need to play these games because these athletic departments need this money. These, The money they get from these games help fund the entire athletic department. So it is worth it on that end. And I also see the flip side of it. I also see people that say, why are you playing these games? They're not competitive. I mean, Grambling lost. Grambling got down pretty quick. It was 35 nothing in the first quarter. Um, but you knew they were going to lose this game. And teams know going in uh, that they are overmatched in certain cases. And not necessarily they don't have talent. Because I do think teams like Grambling and, you know, Jackson State, Alcorn State, they have talent. That's evident every week when they play football. It's just that they don't have the depth. And, you know, that's where these teams suffer. That's where many FCS teams suffer. That's where many D, uh, Division II teams suffer when they play up and play, maybe play an all-corn. So you had, what, North Carolina Central knocking off Shaw last week, 61 nothing. So you have those situations where depth is a concern. Now, why they play these games? Number one, they play these games for one reason only. It's money. They need the money. And that's you can't ignore that. How else are you going to get money for these athletic departments, your your um, your fan base or your alums are not donating a lot of money to these programs like you see at other institutions. So you need to get that those funds by any means necessary. So I get that part of it. And also, as a former player, I enjoy playing, you know, up in the competition, so to speak. So when you look at that schedule, 
let's say you're grambling, you look at that schedule. Yes, you know you're going to have Jackson. Say you look forward to the to the Bayou Classic at the end of the season. You got Southern on there. Um, but you look at Cal, and you're like, wow, this is the game that I can show that I belong. So you look the, – the players want to play these games because it's a chance to measure up against the upper echelon of what they consider to be upper echelon of college football. So no player would not want to play the best programs out there because a lot of players tend to feel slighted that these schools – probably didn't recruit them, so they're going to go out there and play 100%. And who knows? You never know what happens on any given Saturday. So that's the biggest key, uh, I think, from a player's perspective on what they look at when they see these money games. Now, the fans may not like it because they're really uncompetitive. I mean, New Mexico knocked off Mississippi Valley, what, 69 to nothing? I get that. But Valley is not that good of a football team as of yet. You know, maybe they'll get better in the future, but that that's a mismatch on paper. I actually thought Bethune-Cookman was going to put up a better, you know, fight versus South Florida. I also was interested to see how FAMU was able to compete against Miami. I was excited to see Jackson State and Middle Tennessee State. I thought those were going to be some really good games because I think those teams have some talent. Alcorn, Georgia Tech, you know how that was going to go because of the option attack, although I thought Alcorn will come out and play some inspired football because they have some talent offensively on the offensive line. Their tight end is pretty good. Their quarterback, John Gibbs Jr., is excellent. So I thought that game was going to be competitive. But, you know, from a fan's perspective, I get it. But from a financial perspective, I get it as well. I think that's most important. Until someone comes up with a solution to help, you know, pour money into these programs, you know, maybe the alums become better donors. You know, maybe businesses get behind these athletic programs because that's where you see the the biggest – uh, mismatch on the field from the uniforms, you know, from the from the weight program, from the travel. We, we heard about that ad nauseum a couple of seasons ago with Grambling. That's where the biggest issue is, and that's why you have to play these money games. You have to do it. it is, it's a way of life. You see teams at the FBS level play money games. I played at Louisiana Lafayette, and we had money games. You know, we played Texas, LSU, um, went out west to, to uh, play Arizona State. You know, you, you play those money games because you need that for your program. Now, granted, looking at Louisiana Lafayette now, they've won a lot more than I, when I was there. So they've won a lot more. So they have a little bit more prestige. So they may not have to go all the way out to, you know, USC and play USC. They can stay regional. They played Kentucky last week. So I guess as you start to, you know, get these money games and start to reinvest it within your own program, donors start to donate. And now you're starting to build a nice nest egg for your athletic budget. And that way you can then start to get better weight program, recruit better players to come in there, get better um, amenities around these guys so where they can start developing physically. I think that's where you're going to see the tide turn. I think that's what happens at, at these schools, let's say like a North Dakota State, you know, or a Boise State when it was at the FCS level. So it can be done, but you need money to make all of this happen. And that's why they play these games. So, that's my thought on the money games. I thought that was a big topic around Twitter, on the web. So that's that's my thought on the money games versus these major programs. And when we come back, we're going to dive into some of the games of the week for week two. 
Uh, man, you know, it's it's that old thing, you know, perseverance, consistency, hard work, you know what I mean? Uh, my goal is to put the same work into, you know, my businesses, my family that I put into football, you know, and, and I've been running with that mantra since, you know, since I got married back in 97, you know, that if I'm going to have a successful marriage, I got to, you know, the same hard work and same consistency and discipline I had in the football field, I got to put it in my marriage and with my kids and with my, with my businesses and all that. So uh, it teaches you a lot, man, you know, how to deal with your fellow man and not look at his color, but look at, you know, what he can do for the overall good of what you're trying to accomplish, you know. So, uh, it, you know, sports to me in general is just an incredible deal when you, when you talk about football specifically because of the closeness of guys. I, I just believe it's an amazing sport. And welcome back to the HBCU kickoff. I'm Emory Hunt, the czar of the playbook. Those were the words of Pro Football Hall of Famer Tim Brown speaking on what did football teach him. You can find that book as well as Football, A Love Story on our website at footballgameplan.com slash books. Now let's get into some game previews for week two, starting with South Carolina State as they take on Coastal Carolina. This game will be played in Spartansburg, South Carolina, home of the South Carolina State Bulldogs. Now, this is a huge game because, again, it's one of those statement games that people will focus on. When they look at the MEAC or the SWAC, they look at games like this and say, okay, can you beat the upper echelon teams within your own subdivision? And so that's why I believe this is a big game. And when you look at the two teams, they're eerily similar. They have very good defenses. They have very good front sevens on that, on the side, on that side of the ball. Offensively, their offensive lines are good, and they can run the football. Now, the difference in this one is that Alex Ross, a quarterback of Coastal Carolina, is a senior. He's experienced. He's a dual-threat guy. He can make it happen, and that could be the X factor in this ball game. Now, where I do think South Carolina State has an advantage, their offensive line and defensive line I think is a lot better. Now, while Coastal Carolina is pretty good up front defensively, they can't contend with that offensive line, the sheer size of that offensive line of South Carolina State, plus the fact that they have a tight end. And anytime you, anytime you have a tight end on offense to go along with your offensive line, they utilize their tight end. He's attached. That's Tamaric Hemingway, the 6'5", 210 uh, senior, graduate senior, attached to the line of scrimmage. You're going to run the football for a lot of yards. Now, I mentioned Alex Ross, the quarterback. Now, you look at Caleb York, the true freshman quarterback for South, Car South Carolina State, the first white quarterback to play at South Carolina State. That, I didn't know that until last week when they announced it on um, the show. Uh, on, on ESPN with, with Jay Walker and company. But when you look at the fact that South Carolina State played two quarterbacks last week versus Arkansas Pine Bluff, they really could have blown out the Golden Lions, but they were going with that two-quarterback system, and Caleb York came in the game, and they moved the football. The passing game was, was on point at that point, and his arm is tremendous. This guy can really throw it all over the field. So when you look at an X factor for South Carolina State, I think they might go with York as a starting quarterback. I know I would because of what he did last game in a rainy game at that versus Arkansas Pine Bluff that had that two-hour uh, weather delay. He came in, played well, and that's just going to open up the entire offense because we know on the flanks, South Carolina State has tremendous talent at receiver. They have a tight end, and defensively, they have the best defensive lineman in, the, in all of FCS in Javon Hargrave. So, I'm actually going with the upset in this one. I think South Carolina State knocks off Coastal Carolina and makes a statement game. Now, head coach Buddy Pugh said this on the air last week or during the game. He was like, the reason why we scheduled 
Coastal Carolina. We scheduled Furman because we want to show people that, hey, the MEAC is strong. And in case we beat one of these teams, we can make a case to get into the playoffs and also have a representative in the Celebration Bowl. So this was smart scheduling by South Carolina State. And I think they have the talent here to knock off the Chanticleers. I think they will do that. And it'll be the buzz around the FCS next next week in the MEAC. Now, moving on to Grambling and Bethune-Cookman, a swack MEAC battle right here. Grambling is coming off a loss to the Cal Bears in which quarterback Jonathan Williams did not have his best output, to put it lightly, going 7 out of 22 with four interceptions. And needless to say, backup Trevon Ch- uh, Cherry, uh, Trayvon Cherry, he may get the start versus Bethune-Cookman. Um, you know, so... I think this was an excellent squad last year that protected the ball very well. Now, granted, this was versus the Cal Bears in one of those money games versus a major school. We talked about that earlier, but it's it's clear it's clearly different than what we saw last year from Grambling. Now, the second road trip in consecutive weeks for Bethune Cookman, coming off a loss to Miami, and the Eagles struggled to get their ground game going. And this is a team that has very good depth in the backfield. You know, they have guys like Anthony Jordan and Kerry White. Now defensively, they probably have to prepare for both quarterbacks because we don't know if Williams will get the start or Cherry will get the start. But the biggest X factor obviously will be both teams passing games. And I have to say Bethune Cookman's defense played okay early on versus Miami. And I think they'll do the same thing this week versus Grambling. I think it'll be a low scoring game, but I like Bethune Cookman. I think they come away victorious. And his next game is a clash of Titans very early in the swag between Alcorn State and Alabama State. And both are coming off week one losses. And the Hornets loss is a little bit more surprising because it came at the hands of Tennessee State, who's replacing a quarterback and a host of offensive linemen. But back to this game for a minute. The biggest matchup, I believe, is between Alcorn State's offense with John Gibbs Jr., the quarterback, and uh, um, I'm sorry, Alabama State's defensive discipline. Because you know the zone read with Gibbs at the helm is very deadly. But the Hornets, they do have the athleticism with linebacker Courtney Berry to make it to make it work to compete. Now the one player they can't let them beat them, they can't let beat them, is tight end Jordan Payne. You know, outstanding tight end. And I've always said, anytime you have a tight end in college football, you're going to be successful. You want to force Gibbs to go outside the hash marks. You can't have him have both the middle of the field and outside uh, in the passing game. Make them one-dimensional. Take away the tight end, force him to go outside and be consistently accurate down the sideline. I think that's where they can have a chance. And I do think Alabama State is still a little bit behind schedule from a, let's say, where they're supposed to be standpoint. But look for them to start to catch fire around week three, you know, next week or maybe week four. I just see them losing this game versus Alcorn State. I think the Braves take this one versus the Hornets. Big game here in Division Two between St. Augustine and Virginia Union. The Falcons are coming off a loss to North Carolina Central, and everything that they do or want to do is predicated on their ability to run the football. And the Falcons do have a talented tailback in Roderick Davenport II, but when he stymied or stopped, they could struggle on offense. Now, on the flip side, you look at Virginia Union in this ballgame. They're coming off a win versus Brevard, and we know the Panthers are a run-heavy squad that's efficient in the passing game. Now, where they got fortunate last week, or lucky if you want to call it, was on third downs. Going 4 out of 12 on third downs is not a good look for any offense, especially for a ball-control offense. You're supposed to be at 60 to 70% in third downs, on third downs, if you're running the football like they do uh, at Virginia Union. I think this week the challenge will be in the secondary. I know – I just mentioned a lot of what St. Augustine wants to do comes off their ground game, but let's not kid ourselves. The Falcons do have talent on the flanks like Jamal Parker, an outstanding receiver, and I think they'll be able to slow down the Falcons' offense. I like Virginia Union in this game. St. Augustine is looking for its first victory over VUU as the Panthers have an 8-0-1 
you know, lifetime record against these guys. Now, keep in mind, they've been playing for a long time, over 80-plus years, but they've only played nine times. This would be the 10th game, and St. Augustine is looking for their first victory. I don't think it'll happen this year. I like Virginia Union to win. Next, we have Jackson State taking on Tennessee State in the Southern Heritage Classic, and I'm excited to see these two teams play because they have two really good defensive attacks. Despite losing a lot of talent, Tennessee State showed last week versus Alabama State that they don't just rebuild, that they reload instead. And they got very good, efficient quarterback play from O'Shea Ackerman Carter, who's the new starter now replacing Jeremy German. And the Tigers' defense frustrated the Hornets' offensive attack and now face Jackson State's offense with standout quarterback quarterback, I'm sorry, Lamontez Ivy at 6'3", 215. I spoke about him last week, and I thought how Jackson State was a sleeper team in the SWAC. Now, what you like to see them do is become much more balanced. Now, granted, the game got out of hand pretty quickly last week versus Middle Tennessee State, but moving forward, you want to see if the offensive line and a running game of the running backs of Jackson State work together in unison and get that ground game going to help them help those guys develop that balance. Now, I would also keep an eye on Linebacker Javante Jones, I think he has a really bright future ahead of him. Tremendous player on the back end, on the, I'm sorry, at the second level. But look for Jackson State to end their three-game losing streak versus Tennessee State. I think Jackson State's defense will rise to the occasion Saturday and knock off Tennessee State in the Southern Heritage Classic. Another classic game here. This time it's the Whitewater Classic between Albany State and Tuskegee. So it's a big Syac game between these two programs in the Whitewater Classic. And Albany State is coming off a tough loss versus Valdosta that, in my opinion, that's one of those statement games that you want to see a program like Albany State be able to take advantage of and win. They had their chances, so, you know, that was a tough loss. But you have to be impressed with the defensive effort that they showed last week. That bodes well for them moving forward uh, throughout the rest of their season. They really stifled an explosive Valdosta State offensive attack and getting six sacks on the day in the process. Now, offensively, they have to avoid that slow start. And the Tigers, on the other hand, they blanked Clark Atlanta last week, 26 to nothing, shut those guys out. Now, despite not winning the time of possession, despite having 11 penalties, which is unheard of, the Tigers killed it on the ground with 130 yards rushing. So the same rules apply for, for Tuskegee as well. Your offense, while efficient, it can't afford a slow start. So I think this is going to be a low-scoring game, quite honestly. And when you look at uh, Tuskegee's quarterback, Kevin Lacey, obviously he has to play better this week. He went 9 for 20. That's it. That isn't good enough to beat anybody. Um, you know, especially a team like Albany State. So he really has to pick it up in the passing game. Now, these are two really strong teams, and not just in the SIAC, but also in Division Two. I, I think, overall this season. So I think when you look at Albany State, I think they finally get revenge versus Tuskegee as last year's game, as you saw. Plenty of missed opportunities, dropped touchdown passes in the end zone by Albany State. I don't see that happening this game. I think they get revenge and knock off Tuskegee and what probably will be another low-scoring very close game between two outstanding football programs. And finally, in our games of the week preview, just going a brief wrap around the HBCU landscape, we have Fort Valley State taking on the Lane Dragons. And this is a battle between two young football teams. And I think ultimately what this one will come down to is whether or not Fort Valley State can make Lane beat them throwing the football. You know what the Dragons want to do once they get off the bus. They want to shrink the ball game with their ground attack, force you to maximize your own offensive possessions in which you then begin to press and you make a mistake and then they ultimately capitalize on it and beat you uh, on the field. Now, I like what I saw last week versus Delta State from Fort Valley State and their freshman linebacker, Leon McQuaker. He's going to fill out his frame. He's about 6'2", 200 pounds, but the raw athleticism is definitely there. I think he's going to be a monster for a long time for this program and look for Lane to get out of their comfort zone early because I think the Wildcat defense has the athleticism and the talent 
to clog up those running lanes and force them to try to throw the football. And we know that gets them out of their comfort zone, which is why I think Fort Valley State will win this ball game. Look for their quarterback, Otis Brown, who's a dual threat guy to lead them the victory. I think he's going to have a huge day for the Wildcats. Now, when we come back, we're going to take a look at some of the pro prospects to watch this week on the HBCU schedule. What's up, NFL fans? I'm Emery Hunt, the czar of the playbook, and don't forget to check out and purchase your copy of our latest football game plan book, Stiff Arming Football Myths. We have these available in both PDF and paperback form. And welcome back to the HBCU kickoff. We're on the back end of the show now. We're going to talk about some pro prospects to watch this week. I gave you five last week to check out. Here are five more that you want to keep an eye on, starting with quarterback Lamontez Ivy, 6'3", 215. He's a junior. You want to keep an eye on him. I love the way he throws the football. Last year, he threw 14 interceptions. I think he's going to cut that number down a little bit this year and, and uh, hopefully start to elevate his name in the minds of scouts and player personnel decision makers as he moves into his senior season. But I do think this game versus Tennessee State will be a nice showcase game for him. He did solid last week versus Middle Tennessee State, but this is a game where you want to see him definitely take those uh, those progression steps moving forward and become a factor in the swag for his football team. Now, the second guy we talked about earlier in the podcast, Roderick Davenport the second, 6'1", 200 pounds. And what I like about his game is that he has good patience for a runner. He could possibly add weight, I think. He could probably be a fullback at the next level. He's 200 pounds. I think he has a frame to grow to be about 225, 230, maybe a fullback type at the next level. But I do think he has to be able to break more tackles and work through contact better. That's what I'm going to be watching for this season and next season, a guy that runs the football very well coming out of St. Augustine. Now, the third one is tight end Tamaric Hemingway of South Carolina State. We talked about him earlier as well. He has really good athleticism. He, athleticism, I'm sorry. He's built more like a wide receiver. He's 6'5", 210. So he's a little angular. He's a, a lean guy. But by him playing in line, he's a physical player. So I think when you look at where he projects as a pro player, I think he's more of a quote-unquote inside receiver because of his blocking ability, how the Saints utilize Marcus Colson. You want to keep him on the inside going against those backers, banging against those outside backers, working against, working against a strong safety. I think that's where he can have some success. You know, And he's a really good receiver. So I'm excited to see him moving forward progress. I don't think he can put on weight, though. That's why I think he's more of an inside receiver as opposed to a tight end a more physical receiver because I think his body frame has maxed out as far as how much weight he can add on. Next, we look at Virginia Union offensive lineman Addison Hayes, 6'2", 314. He's a senior. Um, he has good initial pop off the ball, and I think that's a great part of an offensive lineman. You want to strike first and strike hard, and he does a great job with that. He has good strength, good point of attack strength. Now, I want to see him you know, develop a mean streak. I think a lot of times he doesn't finish blocks. You, you know, you don't want – Nice offensive lineman. You want an offensive lineman that wants to bury you within the ground. He wants to put you inside the dirt. So I think he has to learn how to finish and become a little bit more mean. Um, and, and that all ties into a lot of what he doesn't do technique-wise. And not to get overly critical right now because we haven't really evaluated these guys just off the you know two or three game glance. You know, his legs have to keep moving upon, in, upon impact because guys can slip his blocks. So once you make that initial pop, that initial punch, that which is really strong, keep your legs moving, and then you can drive guys into the ground. And the fifth person is Miles Grooms out of uh, Hampton, 6'4", 250. He's a defensive end. He's a senior. He's been on the radar for, for us since his sophomore season. So I'm looking forward to seeing how far he has come in this game from a development standpoint. He plays with great length. He plays the run as well as he does the pass. I think he can even be an outside linebacker 
in a 3-4 defense. Right now, he's playing with his hand in the dirt. Now, here's the thing. When you're a 6'4", 250 guy and, and you play with great lean and, and great length, you want to see how well he can drop in the cover. So this game, uh, this week, I'm going to be looking to see how well he's moving off his feet. You know, if plays are going away from him, how he's chasing the how he's chasing those down. If they're dropping him in coverage and like a zone blitz look, those are the things I want to keep an eye on this week while I'm watching Miles Grooms out of uh, Hampton. But he's a tremendous player. All five of these guys are tremendous players, and that's your five pro prospects you want to watch this week in HBCU football. And as we wrap up the show, it's time to go with our HBCU power rankings. A lot of changes this week in the power rankings because some teams have played, they've lost. Other teams have put together impressive performances, they've won. So don't take these as, as you know, etched in stone, but these are fluid, like rankings are supposed to be based on a weekly basis. But starting at number 10, Albany State, I think they put together an impressive showing last week, even in the loss, versus Valdosta State. Now entering number nine, entering our list at number nine, West Virginia State, I think this is a team that played well. They scored a lot of points. Look for them to continue to grow um, and play some great football. North Carolina Central at number eight. They don't get much credit for knocking off St. Augustine, but they do get credit for being a very good dominant football team. Boy State at number seven. Love what I saw last week versus Merrimack. They earned their place on this in this top ten. Tennessee State made a huge jump because of what they did last week versus Alabama State. They really shut down the Hornets' defense. I was very impressed Again, a team that lost a lot of talent offensively on that offensive line, that quarterback, and they picked up right where they left off. That's a really good program. Hampton is number five. Another sleeper team to watch in the MEAC this year is Hampton. I think they're very talented. We just talked about their defensive lineman, Miles Grooms, but they are really good offensively. They have a really good kicker. This is a, a team that can beat you offensively, defensively, and on special teams. We can see, we're going to see if they can put it all together and perhaps get to the Celebration Bowl or even represent the conference in the FCS playoffs. At number four, Tuskegee, still strong, still put together a dominant performance last week versus Clark, shutting out the Panthers, 26-0. Their defense, again, outstanding. And despite losing the guy in, in Matthew Reese up front, who I really liked as a prospect, that offensive line still is able to move people off the football. So Tuskegee finishes at number four on our week two power rankings. Alcorn State at number three. I'm not going to even count the game they lost last week versus uh, Georgia Tech. That's why they dropped from number two to number three because you have to, you know, take away from the loss. But against Georgia Tech, I'm not going to hold it against them. This is still one of the better teams in the SWAC. And um, number two, North Carolina A&T. You know, really good football team. Coach Rob Broadway has done a great job with this program over the last couple of seasons. I think when you look at the Aggies up front, they have size. That's the one common theme I'm seeing in the HBCU ranks this year. The offensive line play is outstanding. A lot of size, a lot of athleticism up front. And North Carolina anti has it in droves. And number one, South Carolina State. I think, again, they pull off the upset this week, I believe, against Coastal Carolina. They're the best team in the HBCU this so far this season in, in two weeks. And I think they're very, um, very good. If they can just solve the quarterback and the quarterback issue and get some consistency coming from the true freshman, I think they're going to be dangerous. Again, that's why I have them winning this week versus Coastal Carolina. I know I'm going out on a limb. I know I'm going to be called crazy, insane. But that's what I think. That's what I believe will happen. That's how much faith I have in their defense, the speed that they have in the secondary, and what they bring to the table along the offensive line and that tight end. I think they have enough to protect the young freshman quarterback and bring him along slowly. That's if they go with him. You know, I, I got to put that out there right now. If they go with him, I think that's where they can go. Um, they can go far with this football team. So 
That's our HBCU or my HBCU power rankings for week two. And that wraps up this show, guys. Again, if you want to find the show archived, go on our website at footballgameplan.com slash podcast. Hit me up on Twitter if you have any questions about any of these prospects or games at Plan. Become a fan of ours on Facebook and also Instagram, Football Game Plan, Vine, Football Game Plan. And don't forget to check out our preview videos, which are on our website I'm sorry, and on our website, but also on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash football game plan. I'm Emory Hunt, the czar of the playbook. Good luck to your respective teams in week two in the HBCU. And this is another episode of the HBCU kickoff.